0: Hey guys, so we're digging into 2 Corinthians chapter 5 this morning. So if you've got a Bible, um, open up and we'll get into that in a sec. Um, so being the holidays and finishing up our series in Titus, um, I was just given the opportunity to preach on anything I wanted to. So I want to take you to one of my favorite bits of the Bible. Um, this this um, part has really brought me great comfort. And it's also shown me what Christian life is about. So I'm keen to share with you guys what I've learned from that. Um, so we're gonna dig around in chapter four and five. Um, I reckon one of the reasons I find this passage so intriguing is because it actually answers one of the biggest questions that we have in life. And that's what what is God's purpose for me? It's one of those questions that you know it can keep you up late at night, like wrestling in bed, kind of thinking, like, what God what does He want with me? Or like when you're making those big decisions in life, like, where am I going to live? Who am I going to marry? What job am I going to do? Like, you kind of want to know God's purpose for you in all that. It'd be really helpful. But we kind of wish that God would just show up and be like, I want you to do this. Like, this is the, my will for your life. I often thought, man, it'd be great if it was like um, the Israelites in the Old Testament. They were in the desert and God was with them. And he was with them, like he represented himself in this cloud of smoke by day and this big fireball by night. And whenever he wanted the Israelites to go anywhere, he would just go. And the Israelites would see him go and they would know to follow him. Like they couldn't really get their purpose run because God was with them and showing exactly what was happening. Um, and I reckon understanding God's purpose for you, like, it's pretty important. Like in moments of crisis, when those storms come, You want to be mentally prepared to batten down the hatches and and make decisions based off what you think God's will is for your life. Like I heard about this concept called lizard brain the other day. It's when our thoughts and actions become fully reactionary. There's no room for discernment. So say there's like a hot patch of sun over there, go get warm. Um, Say there's some food over there, I'm going to go feast on that. Say there's a predator, I'm going to run. Like we have these instincts built into us for our survival. But as Christians, we're more than just surviving. God's called us to a life that's so much greater than chasing after every impulse we have. We want to have our purpose solidified, solid as a rock. So when those storms come, the pain of this world, the persecution, we can know what we're about. And I reckon this thing, it also gets misinterpreted a fair bit. Like you might have heard someone say, I think this is God's will for you for my life and you're like man like that's quite specific and obscure like i i wonder where you got that from like what's shaping that understanding um well the bible here it actually gives us a pretty clear answer maybe not as specific as you want but here in 2 corinthians we see see a clear, god's purpose for our life so this is what i'm gonna do today i'm gonna jump around in these these verses and the kind of wider chapter We're going to ask, how can we be at peace with God? We're going to ask the thing I've been building up to here, which is what is God's purpose for my life? And we're going to um, see why he didn't make a mistake in choosing us for this purpose. So let's read this passage. Um, So we're going to start off in verse 17. So follow along with me here. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God was making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So there's a fair bit in that passage, um, but I just want to pull out the most important thing straight up, and I think it's there at the end. Um, If you're new to church, you're new to reading the things of the Bible, or if you've grown up hearing these things but never quite really understood what it's all about, um, well, this this is pretty much it here. Verse 20 says... We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. That means to be at peace with God. But this passage, it implies that in our current state, we are not at peace with God. It's a pretty big statement, hey, like the God of the universe, the one that created you, is currently not at peace with you. And what's more is that you're the offender, You become the offender when you choose to live your life away from him. You're the one that actually needs to reconcile the relationship. It's you that needs to come to him and say you're sorry. And so we ask, like, how do we be at peace with God? Is there something I need to do? Is there some prayer I need to say? Well, verse 21 actually explains it. It says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us. There's an exchange happening here. Like what Jesus achieved when he was here on earth 2,000 years ago, he lived a perfect life. He did not sin, and he fulfilled God's law in every way. He was actually trialled in a court of law and put to death for something he didn't deserve. What happened was a straight-up scandal. Like he was innocent, yet he was crucified on a cross. But this was actually his plan. See, this says that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. His plan was to pay the penalty for our sin. The exchange that happens, it's that we get his sinlessness and he gets our sin as if it was his, which he died for. Like Jesus died so that we could be at peace with God again. There's this old bloke, his name's Charles Spurgeon, and he talks about the necessity of finding peace with God. And he puts it like this. He says, if you are not at peace with God, you ought to rejoice in any plan by which you may be at peace. And I say any plan. I would take the Bible if I'd never opened it before and say, whatever I find between the covers of this book of God, I will gratefully accept. I do not mind what plan he proposes, so long as this sad state of things shall come to an end. Can God forgive me? Can I be accepted as his child? Whatever he proposes, I will agree to accept it even before I know what it is. But how much more ought you accept it when the plan is one in which there is nothing but mercy on God's part, that there is nothing but sin on yours? One in which God in the person of his Son takes all the suffering and you have all the blessing. One in which Jesus takes all the shame yet you take all the joy. What Spurgeon understands is that peace with God is something we should be seeking no matter what it is. But then how great it is that God himself has done everything for us when it really should be us that's trying to do everything. But this offer of peace It's been extended to you. He's made a way for you to come to him. Accept him as the king of your life and choose to live for him now. That is the main main thing of the Bible. That's what we're on on about here. Um, So that's the first bit. This next bit, um, it's kind of dealing with that question of what is God's purpose for my life? Um, It's for you guys that have put your trust in God and accepted God's plan for peace in your lives too. When I put my trust in Jesus, I had this overwhelming sense of peace. I felt that I could die tomorrow and everything would still be okay. I felt that God had accomplished everything that he wanted to in my life in, in the fact that he brought me to him and that he saved me. Like I really felt like I could just die and it was, it was like all going to be good. And that, that's true. But after a while of not dying, like still being here on earth, I started to ask this question. I started to wonder what God wanted with me. Like, do I just wait around till Jesus shows up and brings like a new creation? Like, what do I do with this like in-between period? Well, this passage, it talks about the purpose for our lives now. Verse 18, it says, he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. What's that? Well, we'll have a read on. We are Christ's ambassadors. He's using his appeal, using us to make his appeal to the world. He wants us to appeal to people on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. That is be at peace with God. So we have ambassadors in our world. Australia has a bunch of them in other countries. Um, So say there's like our prime minister, he can't get to an important meeting. Um, Our ambassador will go there on his behalf. And what the ambassador would do would um, communicate the interests of our prime minister and also our country. But that also behave in a way that would um, reflect what we're on about. And so what it says here is that we are God's ambassadors and that we're to represent his message to the world. And he, also, he has a very specific thing that he wants us to communicate on his behalf. It's that humanity needs to be reconciled to God. God wants to be at peace with them and he's using us to communicate that message on his behalf. Why is he doing it? Well, have a flick back, um, just one page over at 2 Corinthians 4.15. I'll read it for you here. It says, all this is for your benefit. So that's always for our benefit. So that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. He wants more people to know the grace that he offers them. It gives him great joy to extend his grace to more and more people. And he does it so that we might give him praise that he's truly worthy of. I believe it's in this that God gives us a very clear answer for what the purpose of our life is. You ask, what is the will of God for my life? It's that you would be his ambassador, imploring people to know him and to receive the offer of peace from him that they don't deserve. So that's a lot there. Like how are people feeling with that? How do you feel about being an ambassador for God? A bit overwhelmed, a bit daunted by the task? Something about like, are you sure God? Like, you are me? I find it hard enough to be at peace with you, let alone in poor others. Like, I'm lucky if I can get through the day in one piece. <laughs> um, some of you might be feeling, yeah, like, I understand. Like, this is God's purpose. It's pretty clear here. Um, but I don't really know if that's his purpose for me. Like I'm kind of, you know, good in my, what I'm good at over here. Um, I'm probably not the best at like talking to people about this stuff. But I don't know if that's really his purpose for me, you know. Or others might be like, man, my life is just a straight up mess. Like I have no room in my life for anything else. Like I don't think there's any way that God would have an intention to use me like that. It's in these thoughts I want to show you something incredible about the character of God. I want to show you how God actually does intend this mission for you, even if you feel like you're not up to it. So flip back um, just one more um, page there, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 4. So have a read here. Such confidence we have through Christ before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant. So I work as a nurse here um, in an operating theatre in Copts. Uh, when I think about my job, I think I uh, assess my own ability in two main things. I think, am I competent enough to achieve this task? And Am I confident in doing it? And they kind of, both, both of these things, both of these ways we assess our ability are going to have to be there if we're going to be effective and safe. Um, A little bit of surfing. Um, I'm quite a confident surfer. I'm not a very competent surfer. Uh, So when these things don't line up, like, can be a bit dangerous, you know. Um, It's actually the way we uh, we assess our ability in most areas of life: Um, competence and confidence. But when when the Bible uses these words, it comes with a bit of a twist. So check this out. Where does our confidence come from? Verse four: Such confidence. We have through Christ. Where does our competence come from? Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant. Like, we aren't competent in our own right. We have no reason to be confident on our own right, but both come from God. That seems kind of hard to believe. Like, I would not be surprised if most of us felt incompetent and unconfident when it comes to sharing the news of Jesus. But God is not speaking to someone else when he talks about this will, his will for your life. He chose you for this and he intends you to find your confidence and your confidence from him. When we picture someone sharing the news of Jesus, we probably think, oh yeah, I know the Bible really well, they're outgoing, I seem to have their life together. We often hope that someone like this will come into our life and convince people to agree with what we're saying. Um, I think if we're having these thoughts I think it's because we're missing that it's actually God who's working through us. Like who here has ever convinced someone to trust in Jesus just by sheer determination? (laughs) It's just, it's kind of laughable. Like it doesn't happen like that. It is God who works by his spirit, convicting people that they need to turn and follow him. He brings people to himself by his power. We need to understand that it's not only a select few that God intended for this, but he actually Um, wants all of us to be doing it by the power that he gives us. And so why does he choose us, those that are incompetent and unconfident? We'll have a look at chapter 4, verse 7. This is the good stuff here. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not us. The treasure, it's the grace offered to us through Christ. Like We are the jars of clay. He didn't make a mistake when he chose to store his treasure in you, a jar of clay. But he chooses to use us in our unimpressiveness to show the world his impressiveness. Like a jar of clay, not an impressive object usually. Like it serves a nice, functional purpose, but it's fragile and it can break easily. This is what I want you to see about God's character. He uses fragile unimpressive people to achieve great things for his sake and he does it to show us how good he is uh, is this not the story of so many in the bible like think of abraham he was this crumbly old bloke that god offered to start a nation with all he had to do was like trust him then you think of his wife sarah like she was old enough to have great grandchildren and god worked through her think of joseph he was like slow, sold into slavery Yet by God's power, he became the leader of a foreign nation. Think of Moses. He was given the task to bring the Israelites out of Jesus. And he said this to God, and I reckon a lot of us can relate to it. He said, pardon your servant, Lord. I've never been eloquent, neither in the past, nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I the Lord? Now go. I will help you speak and I'll teach you what to say. Think of David, who was like the least of his brothers, yet he defeated a giant with a tiny rock. Think of Paul. He was like dragging out Christians from homes and like killing them. And but Jesus came into his life, he changed him, and he tasked him with bringing a message to a new people. Is it not clear how? unimpressive we are yet how powerful God is we are the jars of clay that God has chosen to store his treasure in he chooses us in a fragile unimpressive state to work through us and show us that the surpassing power belongs to him and not us God did not make a mistake when he chose you for this purpose so how do we be an ambassador I think it's this I think it's that our lives how we live them what we do and what we say is to point to the treasure that we have inside of us. Your life is a witness to what the creator of the universe wants with humanity. He wants to be reconciled to us. He is not the offender, but we are. He wants to fix the relationship that was broken by us. He wants to be at peace with us and he wants for us to find true joy that can only be found in him. This is his hope for all humanity. He wants us unimpressive clay pots to be the communicators of this message for the world wherever you are in life your job your family your friends the people in your life are not there by accident god's purpose for your life is that you would be a witness to them not that you might have your life together enough that they might want to replicate your lifestyle but they they would see the treasure inside of you and be compelled to find hope in that if you take this a step further, you actually create a bit of an identity from it. If you're a follower of Christ, you're a claypot ambassador. You represent him on earth. You hold out the treasure of true joy and peace that comes from him. But you do it as a claypot, one who's unimpressive in many ways, living in a broken world, tainted by sin, yet being held together by the power of God. Find rest in this, God's will for your life, is not to be impressive it's not to make it look like you have the perfect life free of pain and suffering you don't need to be impressive because he is impressive god's purpose for your life is to hold out the joy found in him as one clay pot to another so i'm going to finish up on this um paul gives a bit of a pump up talk here so I play a bit of soccer, and one, one thing that really gets me keen and get, gives me the right attitude to walk on the field, it's a good pre-match pump-up tour. Um, so I want to let the words of the Bible actually motivate you in themselves because they have the power to do so. So jump to verse 7 from chapter 4, verse 7, and follow along with me here. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not us. We are hard pressed on every side but not crushed, perplexed but not in despair, persecuted but not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. Verse 16, therefore we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Do not lose heart. Do not give up. Your confidence and your confidence come from the power of God. God has called you to live as his claypot ambassador don't give up, trust in him, he's good. So I'm going to finish up here um, and I just want to pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, uh, Yeah, thank you so much for this message. Um, thank you for helping us see that um, the power is from you and not us, Lord. Um, thank you for the joy and the peace that that brings, Lord. Um, I pray that you would work through us Um, us clay pots and that you would hold us together Lord and that we would be able to represent you well on earth please equip us to be able to communicate your message and help us to live that out as ones that have found peace in you pray these things through your son's name